Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean Cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 245. You know, with all the excitement of booking a Royal Caribbean cruise and all the possibilities of the places you're going to visit, things you're going to do, and everything else in between, it's really easy to overlook airfare. And booking airfare for your Royal Caribbean cruise is not only a necessity, it's a big part of the budget that can go into your cruise and vacation experience. So this week, we're going to talk about ways to save money while booking your airfare and best strategies to ensure that when you go to your Royal Caribbean cruise, it's not going to cost you way too much and you can certainly get there and back without any financial burdens. Here we go. When it comes to planning a Royal Caribbean cruise, we get really excited about the ship we're going to go on, the places we're going to visit, the things we're going to do on board, the shows we're going to see, all the things we're going to eat on board. And yet the thing that usually gets like pushed to the side, almost like, yeah, 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 whatever, we'll get to it when we get to it, is airfare. And it's easily overlooked, but a major component for a lot of folks as to what the right thing to do and how to actually plan their vacation. Because let's face it. You know, airfare can make or break a vacation plan, and in some cases actually does prevent someone from maybe booking a particular Royal Caribbean cruise because getting there at whatever time of the year is prohibitively expensive. It's just one of those things that that's out there, and when you live far enough away from a cruise port that getting there via another means, via driving a train, bus, whatever, is impractical or, or frankly impossible – well, then you're at the mercy of airfare, and this week I wanted to talk about booking airfare and the strategies involved in getting the best possible price because there is a bit of a strategy there. Now, of course, while my expertise or my self-proclaimed expertise lies with Royal Caribbean Cruising, airfare is a different story, and there's a lot of strategies, a lot of thoughts on it, and I'm going to present a couple of them here, but I'd be the first to admit I am not an airfare expert. I've just flown enough over the years to be able to share some insight as to some good strategies or, or, or starting points anyway for finding airfare. Now, I often tell people, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, maybe even during the listener email part, whereas when you're booking your cruise, before you put down your money, especially if you're booking non-refundable uh, cruise fare, make sure you look at that airfare at the very least as a starting point. Now, keep in mind that sometimes you can't. If you book a cruise, you know, two years or more in advance, a lot of times most airlines don't have the ability to even book a, a flight that far out. And that's a whole different issue. Uh, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a good and a, a bad problem. At least the good part about that is, well, at least, you know, you're not booking too late, right? It's not like you're, you're ahead of the, you're ahead of the curve in this case instead of behind it. So you theoretically should have the opportunity to get affordable airfare. But uh, regardless, you should always look at what's available to you. Now, like I said, if you're booking this too far in advance, if it's something where, you know, you're you're booking this cruise two years out, none of the airfare is available yet, well, at least then you know you have some time to figure out that airfare. And like I said, more than likely, you'll probably get decent price, right? Maybe get the lowest price, maybe you won't, but you're, you're at least not trying to book this at the last minute and it's going to be prohibitively expensive, more than likely. I would at least, at the very least, have a pretty good ballpark idea of what airfare costs. Like if, if this is your first time going to Europe, right, and you live in North America, and you want to go to Europe for the first time and you have no idea, You've never taken a European cruise before. You've never been to Europe before. You've never flown to Europe before. You've never paid to fly to Europe before. Maybe you did it on business, you know, and your company paid for it. But you should get a pretty good idea of what airfare is going to cost you. So you have a, at least an idea in a, from a budget standpoint, right? But what we're trying to do with this entire episode is avoid a scenario in which you realize, oh no, I booked a cruise and it's too expensive to get there or it's really expensive to get there and, you know, this is going to cause financial burden for you later on. Like, you know, you don't want to get in that situation. So have a decent idea. Now, if you are booking your cruise a little sooner, you know, within a year or so, and certainly airfare is available for you to book, 
look at that as well. Now, keep in mind that if you're booking domestic airfare, or airfare here in the United States, there are obviously some the low-cost carriers, you know, the JetBlues, the Southwests of the world, versus the uh, conventional carriers, you know, the Delta's American, uh, other airlines, United, right? I, with all the mergers, it's hard to keep track these days. But keep in mind that, like, you know, if you're booking airfare 9 to 12 months in advance, sometimes, like, Southwest's schedule isn't av- available yet. But you can still book for, like, the bigger carriers. So at least you have an idea of what's available. But before you book, have in your mind, okay, airfare is probably going to cost me X amount of dollars, and you're okay with that idea. So that's step one, before you book. Step two is after you book your flight, or sorry, after you book your cruise, you have to start at least figuring out your game plan for booking your flight. Now, if you book way far in advance your cruise and airfare is not available yet, well, then you've got nothing to do right now. you just got to... You make a reminder of some kind. Oh, by the way, we've got to check airfare when it comes out a little bit later. You know, whenever that happens to be, depending on where you're going, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, you know, let's now fast forward to that point. Airfare is now available. What do you do? Well, there are a couple different strategies. For domestic airfare, you know, a lot of people swear by, my wife likes the strategy, is booking Southwest. The reason why we like Southwest specifically is because it's refundable fare. So if we book it today, like let's say airfare comes out for my cruise and it's today's the first day it's available, just like when Royal Caribbean puts out its cruise fare, we book it. If it drops tomorrow or the next day, you can cancel and rebook at Southwest with no penalty. It's the only airline that offers this, really. Uh, there are other airlines that allow you to cancel and rebook, but there's usually a penalty or a change fee associated with it, which makes it prohibitively uh, expensive and not worthwhile. Now, that being said, I did look into the 2018 airfare study done by CheapAir.com. So this is somebody else's study. There was a They looked at, let's see, 917 million flights. So that's a pretty big uh, scope right there in 8,000 markets. And they looked for basically how to figure out the best time. And they say the best time to buy plane tickets based on average lowest airfare price by advanced purchase date was uh, basically um, – for here it is, 121 to 21 days in advance. The number of days in advance that, on average, yielded the lowest fares to destinations in North America, based on 2017 flight search data. And again, I'll post a a, um, a link in this to this study in our show notes at RealCreamBlog.com. But the prime booking window is between 121 and 21 days, so approximately three weeks to four months before your cruise or whenever you want to travel. Um, this is the prime booking window, and um, basically, this is what they wrote about it. We now come to the prime booking window occurring three weeks to four months in advance and otherwise known as the best zone to nab a bargain. Hunting for cheap airfare? Focus your efforts here. It's not as though you won't see fares change in the zone, but zones average within 5% of their lowest tier and you're most likely to see a cheap fare pop up. So basically you're talking – that's a pretty big window actually. Three weeks, 21 days before. I I can't even imagine booking my flight three weeks before my – you know, before my flight. I mean – it's possible. I, last minute, probably the most, you know, but if you're booking this a year in advance, don't wait until three weeks. So that four month window, maybe three to four months might be the better, the safer one, at least for me, uh, to go there. But, you know, uh, the other window that's, that's kind of worth mentioning is the peace of mind window, which is about four to six months before your, before your flight, 122 to 168 days in advance. And this is the peace of mind window because it alleviates travel anxiety and will cost you a bit less than if you go a little bit, way too early, six to 11 months in advance. And maybe you won't get the lowest price, but it gives you a pretty good price in there and you get to lock in your flight date, still have a decent number of flight and seat options. 
That's another thing to consider, and I think it's really important, is your flight options, right? There's a big difference between getting the lowest price. Oftentimes, what's that lowest price? It's like the 6 a.m. flight. Nobody wants to go on the 6 a.m. flight, no matter what, because to get to the 6 a.m. flight, you have to wake up at like 3 a.m. You have to be at the airport by 4 a.m., and you, you know, you gotta, it, that's not fun. So, again, it, maybe it's worth it to pay an extra $30, you know, but you book it in advance to get that peace of mind and check that out, and certainly... Um, you know, you want to do this. Now, best time to buy, this is from the same survey, so I'm just quoting all this, but I think it's really good information. Uh, for the best time to buy flights in every season, for winter, 62 days in advance, spring, 90 days in advance, summer, 47 days in advance, and fall, 69 days in advance. And, uh, you can see all this on the, on the website. There are some other good strategies that I recommend when it comes to cruising specifically, because if we're talking about cruising from North America, and odds are you're probably cruising out of Florida, although this strategy will work for pretty much every airport. And that is the airport strategy. I've been using this strategy for years and years and years, and it continues to amaze me how well this works. And that is, don't assume that you have to book airfare out of the closest airport to your home and the closest airport to the port in which you're cruising out of. So the example is obviously Florida is a great example because, you know, you're booking, you're going on Symphony of the Seas, brand new ship out of Miami. You want to join, you want to go on that ship. Heck, you, you even went one step further. You said, I want to go on the Royal Caribbean blog group cruise, uh, November 2018. Shameless plug. Yes. Uh, over and you went to royalcaribbeanblog.com slash events, fill out the information form. And now you want to book your flight. Well, it goes out of Miami, Port Miami. So the natural instinct is, ah, let me go look for airfare out of Miami. And you can certainly do that. It's a great step one, but don't book your airfare yet. What you can do, what you should do is consider other airports in and around Miami. In fact, when it comes to Florida, you should look at at airports in Fort Lauderdale, Tampa, Orlando, Fort Myers, Daytona Beach, West Palm Beach, because all these airports are with easily within driving distance. Even the worst one, which probably be Tampa, is like, uh, let's say, three to four hour drive. Now, that's a pretty long drive. I admit that. Because Tampa might not be like, and Orlando is not that much uh, closer. But if it's going to save you hundreds of dollars, right? Let's say it's $200 cheaper for everybody, and you got a family of four. Now, you're talking you know, $800. Hey, man, $800? I'll put the kids in the car and we'll listen to the Royal Green Blog podcast on loop until we get to the port. That's worth it right there, right? So that's a good strategy for you to look at as well. Um, you know, consider other ports and a great and the more practical advice, obviously Fort Lauderdale to Miami, you're talking about less than an hour. West Palm Beach also really easy. So consider other airport options, especially Miami tends to be more expensive than Fort Lauderdale in general in terms of whether you're going to uh cruising out of Fort Lauderdale or cruising out of Miami. So consider all those airports. Look at all airports in Florida because they can offer you potential uh substantial savings for you. And not much, uh, not much inconvenience at all. It's not like you're flying to like Atlanta and you have to drive like, you know, nine hours. That's, that's a bit much to save a couple bucks, right? But for Florida, that makes sense. You can also apply the strategy back at home. If you fly out of the Northeast, if you live in the New York market or Philadelphia market or Boston markets, I mean, you have a lot of airports around you beyond the obvious one. If you live in New York, you know, you don't, you don't have to fly out of LaGuardia. You can fly out of JFK. You can fly out of Newark. You can fly out of White Plains. You can fly out of Bradley in Connecticut. You can fly out. There's a ton of airports. Uh, same, you know, uh, there, there's Providence, there's Hartford, there's Boston. Uh, there's a variety of airports you can choose from that may find significantly cheaper fares for you to get down to your flight, uh, to your cruise rather. So consider all those options as well because that's really a, a great strategy for, again, taking finding the best possible price and also schedules because these days we often find there's a lot of different variations within the schedule for uh, flights. I mean, it's not like the back in the day where they offered a lot of flights. A lot of times, you know, there may be one or two flights a day 
But the one or two flights a day out of JFK may be more convenient than the ones out of Newark, right? So consider all those options, but also consider, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the, there, there's a practicality to it. And like I always recommend when you're booking airfare for your cruise, always, and I mean, this is, if there's one thing you're going to listen to me about in this episode, make sure it's this one. If you're flying into your cruise port, fly in at least one day before your cruise. There's two really good reasons for this. Number one, start your vacation early, which I don't know that anyone here listening to this is opposed to that idea, starting your vacation a little earlier. And number two, it helps protect against travel delays. If your flight is, is delayed or canceled, God forbid, you aren't going to miss your cruise because you're going to give yourself enough padding of a window because you came in at least a day before to hop on another flight and get down there in time. Now, how likely is that to happen? Probably unlikely. Cancellation is extremely unlikely of your flight. I mean, that probably requires a storm or some, you know, something really odd to happen. Uh, you know, mechanical breakdown to your plane. They just can't get another one out there. I don't know. What something, that's not very unlikely to happen. What's more likely is a delay. But you don't, you know, now the difference between flying in and arriving at noon or, you know, you're delayed a couple hours and you're going to arrive at four, you know, you're going to miss your cruise, dude. It's not worth it. So fly in at least a day beforehand. Uh, to make sure that you have enough time to not have any travel delays. On the return, you know, this is an age-old debate about where you, how, what time should you book your flight? Depends on the port, obviously, how far the cruise port is from the airport. Generally speaking, most people tell you, at least for the here in the United States, you don't book anything before noon. It's just the, it's the sound strategy to avoid panic and chaos because, you know, it's not that you can't make those flights potentially, but it's just to alleviate a little anxiety. You know, and, and stress, and I've seen it happen all too often where people freak out because they realize, oh no, we booked a 10 a.m. flight, and it sounded fine at the time, and then you realize to get to a 10 a.m. flight, we got to be off the ship by this time, into the car at this time, and it it creates some issues there. Now, it's that you can't make uh, a flight in the 11 o'clock hour or even the 10 o'clock hour. I've seen it happen. It, it happens more often than you think. But the issue is, it's up to you to take certain steps, as in doing you know self disembarkation, right? Not having anybody assist you with your luggage. You taking all your luggage off the ship. It also there's a there's an X factor that you have no control over, which is what time your ship will be cleared. When your ship redocks back in whatever port we're talking about, it has to be cleared by local customs. And regardless if your ship docks at 6 a.m. or whenever, it, the amount of time it will take for your ship to be cleared depends. There is no answer. It can vary. In fact, transatlantic cruises, where uh, cruises that come back to the United States after being in Europe, often are notorious for taking a really long time. Remember on. On Harmony of the Seas, when she first arrived in North America, and I went on the, there was a three-nighter I went on. So I was waiting to board the ship, not get off the ship. But they didn't clear the ship, I don't think, until like 11 a.m. Or, or noon or something like that. I mean, they took a long time to clear that ship. And I didn't get on the ship until the afternoon. So, you know, that that's obviously an exception. But it's something to keep in mind, especially when you're trying to book airfare. So... You know, I, I think the noontime is usually a pretty good strategy. You can almost – a lot of people just say, you know what? I'm not even going to risk it. I'm going to make it really easy on myself. I'm going to book a flight later in the day, in the evening, in fact, and make a day of it. You know, maybe you're touring around. Maybe you're just sitting by the beach, or, you know, just taking it easy. Uh, and that way you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, what's going to happen. Of course, Royal Caribbean offers shore excursions that you can also take in these ports. And they stow your luggage for you. Some people rent cars. You know, it depends what your comfort level is and obviously how quickly you need to get back and a variety of other factors. It all depends. But uh, these are factors you want to consider when you're booking your airfare. Again, this has less to do with the price and more to do with your with your sanity. But 
the worst possible scenario, I think anyone would agree, would probably be to avoid, you know, missing the missing the flight because you can't get there in time. So certainly, you know, if you've got a family of four and you've got a lot of luggage, it's a whole different situation than if you're so, cruising solo or there's a couple and you got no kids and it's a lot easier for you to take all your stuff off the ship. Um, so, you know, it, it, it can vary. But again, you want to make sure you look at all that um, as a whole. Now, the last part of this is there is a program Royal Caribbean offers called Air2C. And Air2C is a program in which Royal Caribbean will book your airfare for you. And you might wonder, well, should I do this? And I will tell you that I've never actually done – I've never actually personally used Air2C. I only know of it. Um, and basically, here's how what Air2C advertises itself as. It offers the lowest airfare guarantee. No matter what flight you're talking about, they will they – will, they guarantee the lowest price fare – uh, or they'll credit back 110% of your, of the difference spent on board. Um, you know, at the time anyway, of that. They assure your arrival, and this is a pretty important one. When your vacation comes around, you don't want to miss the ship because of the flight delays or cancellations. If you book airfare through Royal Caribbean, they guarantee that it shouldn't issue a rise. Their emergency travel team will work with the airline to get the next available flight, uh, for you to the next available port of call. So if you miss the ship because there's a snowstorm in Boston and you're just socked in there, right? There's no way you're getting out of there. The flight, the cruise is still going on. They'll get you around there. Um, there's, you get choice of airlines. There is a couple things you want to keep in mind that I'm aware of. Number one, I believe Air2C still charges a fee. So even though they, they offer the lowest possible airfare, there's still a fee that goes on top of that later on, which goes to Royal Caribbean. So there's something to consider. I think in general, the, the, the best use of Air2C, in my opinion, and again, you may disagree with this, is for international flights. Uh, you know, if you're in North America and you're flying to Europe or vice versa, or you're going to, you know, if you're, if you're a U.S. resident, you're leaving the country, not counting Puerto Rico, like you're leaving, you're going overseas for a cruise, then that would be a really good opportunity because again, those travel delays is really what I think would concern me the most and the opportunity for Royal Caribbean to be able to be in your corner and reprice and rebook you and get you to your ship is pretty important. It's kind of its own like, Think of it as like its own little mini travel insurance protection. Now, if you already have travel insurance, perhaps this whole program is kind of useless or, or unnecessary, right? Redundant. And you're going to get it anyway. Well, then you're all set. But something to consider. And it's not to say that this is the only way to book international airfare. You, I'm sure there's a ton of people. In fact, I know there are a ton of people who don't use this program and book it on their own or some other means. And, you know, they, they're, they've been perfectly happy with uh, reserving those flights. So it's something to consider. I would look into it. I don't know that uh, you you always there's always a rule in which you should use air to see, but it does exist. You can book for any kind of flight, by the way. You can book it for you know a flight from New York to Florida if you'd like. Uh, but the key is for you to find you know what makes the most amount of sense for you in terms of value and of course your your risk tolerance and whatnot. So uh, and uh, again, this is just air the number two C as in the ocean. Help us link in notion us to that as well. And that basically wraps up the the look at airfare. Uh, for, you know, how we plan our cruises. I think it's something you want to think about more often. Than I, when it comes to land vacations, I feel like we think about airfare a lot. When cruise vacations, I always feel like it's the last thing I think about, personally. I'm always like, let's book this. And, I'm, you know, and my wife is like, you know, we got to look at friends. I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. But let's book this cruise. You know, it's like I, I'm guilty of not looking at it soon enough. And I think that this is something you should absolutely look into sooner than later. Because, again, I think the the the, the fear – is that you're going to get to a point where you realize, oh no, this flight that we're booked, you know, this cruise that we're booked on, getting there is going to be so expensive that either it's going to cause you, you know, it's going to cause you to cancel the cruise, or I think more likely you'll probably just, you know, you're going to have to cut back on something somewhere to in order to afford it. You know, it's going to cost you more than you thought. 
and that leads, you know, it's those kinds of, you know, you, you've had those kind of discussions with your, with your family where like, oh, geez, this is costing us way more than we thought it was going to cost us. And now you were in a, we're in a financial bind, right? There's ways around there, ways to cover for that, but still you don't want to get into that situation in the first place. So certainly by booking ahead or planning ahead, you can get the best possible price for your airfare to ensure you're going to go on that Royal Caribbean cruise. Hey, it's time to answer your Royal Caribbean questions. This is the part of the podcast where I go into my Royal Caribbean blog inbox and read to you emails that I have received from podcast listeners all about all the things Royal Caribbean. Maybe it's a question, maybe it's a comment. Whatever it is, it's about Royal Caribbean, generally speaking. Sometimes it's about pizza, but usually it's about Royal Caribbean and we talk about it together. And of course, you can always send me your emails about Royal Caribbean, a question, whatever's on your mind, uh, by sending it to Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, M-A-T-T at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Our first email this week is from uh, Mary, who writes, Hi, Matt, if I purchased a drink package, is a $13 beverage covered or do I have to pay the difference? Good question, Mary. So the answer is, it depends on the ship. Um, the Oasis Aquatic Class ships cover $13 drinks and below. Of course, this is pre-tax, pre-gratuity, rather. Uh, so you don't have to worry about that. That's, that's covered in the drink package. But if the price on the menu says $13, I'm going to bet you're on an Oasis or Quantum Class ship. This question comes up a lot, you know, because the other ships in the fleet, if it's not Oasis or Quantum Class, it's $12 threshold. But on those ships, you don't see $13 drinks. There are some exceptions, of course. There are some. Uh, usually, they're very rare. Uh, almost always, you, it involves you requesting some sort of a liquor that is high, that Royal considers high-end liquor. I'm not talking about Grey Goose or... Patron or the kind of liquor, Kraken rum, like the kind of liquors that I think most people tend to think of as good liquors. We're talking about really high end kind of stuff. Um, the things that, you know, are, I can't give you a really good example because I don't even know what they are, but they exist. I'm sure they do. You know, the, the soup, the Johnny Walker, some color that I don't know which one it is because I have no idea about the difference. I know they're just certain kinds of Johnny Rock, Johnny Walkers and they all have different colors. Anyway, like those examples, right? But you would only pay the difference on top of that. But what I'm trying to say is, if you're going to go to the bar and you're going to say, Madam, sir, I would like to have a pina colada or a margarita or, or you know, when you order like that, you're not going to incur it. I, I think it's a it's a very unlikely scenario. It's only when you say, sir or madam, I would like to have a Johnny Walker fuchsia. <laughs> I don't know. Whichever one. Right? A certain type of liquor with my drink and it's going to... And then that's going to cost you extra, but the drink package will cover the rest of it. But the 13, to answer the question, Mary's question, most directly as I can, $13, if you're on an Oasis or Quantum Class ship, it will be covered. Other ships, you'd pay a dollar extra. But again, I don't think on other ships you'd really run into that scenario because it's not a realistic, it's not very, it's not very, uh, it's not something that's going to occur very likely. Let's put it that way. Next, we have an email from Andrew who writes, I listen to your podcast about the drink packages and you stated that there was not, there was a way to not have to pay for alcoholic packages for both those in the same state room since my wife is pregnant. When I called the Royal Caribbean to ask them that, uh, since my wife is pregnant and does not drink, can I just get the one package for me and my family? They informed me that we still need to purchase the non-alcoholic package. Uh, do you know a way around this? Andy, thanks for the email. And the answer is no. Unfortunately, that's been, that's the compromise they've reached. So when Royal Caribbean added the, uh, stipulation here in 2018 that, uh, both if one adult chooses to buy a drink package in the room, then both adults have to. The, the way that what Andy did was right. You call Royal Caribbean and say, Hey, explain the situation why the spouse or whoever the other adult can't purchase it. Um, then they'll offer, instead of 
taking the stipulation away, they basically say, okay, well, instead, she will have to purchase the Nana, or whoever, will have to purchase the Nana clock package, which costs substantially less, but it's still an investment. Uh, Annie pointed out the for his cruise, it would be $287 over the duration of the cruise, and maybe his wife doesn't want that at all. Um, there is no way to get around that directly, Andy. I mean, obviously, you could book two different rooms. <laughs> I don't know how practical that is. I only laugh because I don't think that's really going to be something you'd consider. But obviously, if you were, you know, traveling with your uh, in-laws, right, um, or your friends, and, you know, you could basically arrange you and your buddy or you and your father are in one room on paper, and you both want the drink package, well, then that makes sense, and put your wife and and someone else who doesn't drink in that room, and then, you know, it's all on paper, and you can always switch room cards later on. That's a, that's a strategy you can definitely do. I do this all the time with the kids, Andy. With When I travel, I've got two kids, so, you know, usually we book... One adult in one room, one adult in the other room, and that that gets us around this problem as well. Again, I don't know how practical this will be for you, and I don't know your family situation. But other than that, no, not really. The best, the only other thing you could do, Andy, is to throw kind of a hail mary pass, if you will, and wait to book it on board the ship. And when you get on board the ship, say I'd like to buy the drink package and explain that your wife is pregnant, and hope that nobody enforces that rule. That's more of a your mileage may vary situation. Maybe it'll work, maybe it won't work. I don't know, but. If you're really adamant against it, that might be the best next strategy uh, to do. Um, next, we have an email from Dennis, who writes, uh, this is Dennis from Australia. We're going to Hawaii to Sydney in September. My question is, we have adjoining rooms for me and my wife in one room, and my kid and brother-in-law in another. Can we swap names and cabins off to pay extra? Um, thanks for the information. Absolutely. Absolutely, Dennis. I've done this before myself. Yes, and this goes to the example I just gave. Perfect timing, Dennis. Thank you for the email. So, yes, if you're on paper, you know, here's the example. It's got Dennis and his wife in one room on paper and his kid and his brother-in-law in another room. You can absolutely get access to the other one. Just go to guest services on, on the cruise ship. Don't, don't, you can't do anything in advance. So don't worry about that. But once you're on board the ship, go to them and say, explain the situation. Hey, my kid is staying in this room. I need to get an extra room key or whatever. They need an extra room key, however you want to do it. Uh, that can absolutely be the case. They'll, they'll hook you up. There's no issue there at all. Uh, Dennis, I've done that before to, uh, with no problem at all. Uh, next we have an email from Heather Alexander, aka Teacher Fireman, who writes, Dear Matt, we are 40 days from our spring break cruise on Oasis of the Seas. I think welcome back is in order, but nevertheless, we're taking, <laughs> we're taking this cruise with, without our two kids because the spring breaks and school schedules don't line up. Needless to say, our kids are not very happy with us. In true Royal Caribbean blog fashion, I wanted to write you about the YOLO book it mentality we have going on right now. We have a 10-night Alaskan land and sea cruise planned for June. June 22nd is our date, but we'll be headed south as you are all headed up north around your group cruise. So sad we'll be missing on the group cruise. Next, we have a 7-night alert cruise booked. This one is for August and is a special one because it's for my uh, mom and son cruise. Oh, because it's mom and son. It's for her and her son. Got it. We booked it so early that we're in a boardwalk balcony room 9329, which is the balcony last balcony before the rock wall. It is like a balcony room because we have the water view, a boardwalk room because we overlook the boardwalk, and also have a mini aqua theater suite because we can see the shows from the balcony. I'm beyond thrilled. It will also be the cruise that we will enjoy Emerald Crown and Anchor members. This brings me to the whole point of my email. As frequently as we go cruising, we're quickly climbing the Crown and Anchor status bar. Our goal is to be diamond members by the time we hit retirement, which is about five to ten years in my future. Uh... Five, which is in the five to ten year future for my husband. We realize it is a few more cruises away, but here's where life gets funny. 
So we were enjoying a lazy Sunday a few weeks ago, and my husband got an email from Royal Caribbean, which stated our final payment was due for our adventure of the Seas Cruise for late April this year. We were astonished. We did not have this on the calendar. It was not in our budget. What was happening? We immediately called Royal Caribbean and realized we'd booked this over two years ago as a placeholder cruise for future and completely forgot about it. As the agent talked to us, it all came back to us. We realized we were going to use it for an undetermined future sailing. Thank goodness we were able to make changes as it was booked before all the policy changes occurred. So we hung up and quickly decided that if we wanted to climb the Crown Anchor status bar as quickly as possible, we knew what we needed to do. We were, we will be 17 points away from Diamond after this August sailing. That's essentially three seven-nighters. I decided to speed up the process by being clever. We used our placeholder cruise on Adventure of the Seas and changed it to a five-night Navigator of the Seas cruise for next spring break. We then booked a junior suite. A perk of staying in suites is that we get double crown and anchor points, which will be 10 points for that sailing. It's actually very economical when you think about purchasing three cruises versus two cruises. So once that trip is complete, we'll only be, need seven more, no, we'll only need one more seven-night cruise and then we'll be diamond. I thought I'd overshare all of this with you because it'd be a helpful way to look at climbing the crown and anchor ladder for other listeners as well. Really appreciate all you do for your mental stats each week as I patiently wait for my upcoming cruises. Heather, thank you so much for the email. And you know what? I know a lot of folks, including myself, have done that math. How many of us? I know you're all raising your hands and I can't see you, but how many? Raise your hand if you have sat down and you figured out how could you possibly move up to the next level uh, because it would just make everything better if you can move up to the next level of Crown and Anchor Society by booking another cruise or upgrading to a suite. I have anguished over this quite a number of times, Heather. It is a very tempting feature. So you're not alone. And I know that a lot of people who are listening to this right now have their hands up in the air. I hope you're not driving and doing this, but you know, who, who are, have done this as well. So you're in good company. And I, I think it's, it's, it's funny because obviously we've all done it. It's like the, you know, it's, it's something that at some point it crosses your mind, especially as you move up the levels. When you're gold, I don't think I really ever thought about it much. And then when I got, once I got up to platinum and emerald, it's like you can start to see the higher levels and it becomes a whole different issue, right? A whole different ball game. You're like, oh wow, there's, there's gold in them hills, so to speak, or at least there's temptation in those hills, and you kind of go there. So I, I think that we've all been there. For the right money, Heather, it absolutely makes sense. I have We've done that, in fact. There have been many cruises, I'm sure I've talked about in the podcast in the past, where we booked a suite or we booked a particular sailing just to upgrade and move up. There was one sailing we booked uh, last year in uh, on – we booked for, for Brilliance of the Seas as an excuse to move up, but I, I, I did the math wrong in my head, and we ended up being one point short instead of uh, hitting it on the nose. But eh, it was still an excuse for a cruise, and I went with it for a while, and before I figured out that I did the math wrong. <laughs> but it's all good. We've all been there. So good stuff, Heather. Thank you. Our next email comes to us from Stuart Etheridge of Norwich, UK. Hi, Matt. I wrote you last year following our first ever cruise on Anthem of the Seas out of New Jersey. At the time, I had booked for another trip, this time Oasis of the Seas, for a seven-night Western Caribbean cruise from Port Canaveral, stopping at Labadee, Falmouth, Jamaica, and Cosmel. You asked me to email you with a report on how it went, so here it goes. The first thing to say is that the departure point suited us so much better. To leave from a warm Florida port in November to return is still a very pleasant temperature after acclimating uh, to the Caribbean was far better than coming back to freezing temperatures in New York like last time. Port Canaveral was an easy pass-through, and we were soon on the ship. We love Oasis. The, the layout of the ship was incredibly clever. In many ways, it felt a lot bigger than Anthem of the Seas in that it didn't seem to be a lot more to explore, but having said that, it never really felt crowded. On the negative side, you could see that it was an older ship by comparison, and he used older in air quotes, by the way, and we spotted a few maintenance issues that clearly could do with being addressed. That being said, it certainly didn't spoil our enjoyment of this fantastic vessel. 
One thing we found that we enjoyed from our previous trip was especially dining options. So this time, we went all the way with the Ultimate Dining Package. We took full advantage of it and ate at specialty restaurants every night of the cruise. Matt, you're so right. Support is fantastic. Thanks for the recommendation. We also enjoyed Chops and 150 Central Park. We would definitely do the Ultimate Dining Package again. In terms of the ports we, we uh, ports of call, we had uh, very different but totally enjoyable experiences in all three. First, Labadee. Again, full recognition to the podcast for our choice here. Following your recommendation, we booked the over-the-water cabana at Nelly's Beach, and it was fantastic. The whole experience was first class from the views to the service. If anyone's wondering if the option is worth the cost, I would say 100% yes. Next up was Falmouth, Jamaica. Here we opt to do the off-road buggies. For the most part, this was a positive experience. The trails were great. And it was a lot of fun. The only point that was was a safety-related one, there were a number of sheer drives. People were slipping and sliding all over the place. Everyone came back on okay, but there was definitely the possibility of an accident. They definitely need to, needed to sign those waivers. Put it this way. I'm, I'm sure the course wouldn't pass health and safety in USA or Europe. Nonetheless, it was a fun day, and if you're considering this, wear old clothes as you will come back covered from head to toe in mud. The final stop was Cozumel, and we did the Segway tour for a change of pace. This was a good, quite good fun, although the Mayan Village element of it wasn't massively informative. Still, it was a beautiful day, and a Segway is a great way to see uh, anything. Overall, it was a great cruise. The Oasis class certainly suited us, and we enjoyed everything from the casino to the floor rider, zip line, uh, ice shows. It was all fantastic. One last thing I'm going to wholeheartedly agree with the podcast on is the duration of the trip. Last time during the Southern Caribbean cruise from New Jersey, it was a it was a lot being twelve nights, too many sea days for sure. Seven nights is definitely the sweet spot. Enough time to really enjoy both the ship and the ports, but not enough to get any feeling or cabin fever. And the next trip, yes, we booked uh, while we were on board Symphony of the Seas, Miami to Roatan, Costa Maya, Cosmel, and Coco Cay. Unfortunately, not until next year, as we already have travel plans mapped for 2018. So, Stuart, thank you so much for the great email. Wow, sounds like an awesome amount of wastes of the seas and. Yeah, I was just nodding my head with everything you said over there, dude. I think you really hit the nail on the head. It is a great ship. I really never shied from recommending the Oasis class, and I think you did really, really well there. Um, next email from Margaret, who writes, I found your podcast last week and love it. Thank you so, so much. I've taken my first cruise May 6th on Liberty of the Seas. I can't decide on which excursion to take in Belize. I'm leaning towards Lamine. Hope it pronounced that L A M A N I. But there's also Altoon Ha. I was planning on booking with an independent tour operator, as I found the Times descriptions at Royal Caribbean site wrong. They have a picture of Altoon Ha under the Lamanai excursion. Any help and advice you can provide will be appreciated. I'm a bit nervous of what to do. Margaret, I just got back from, well, not that. I recently got back from Belize on board Rhapsody this season. I've actually been holding on your email for a little while, Margaret, because I wanted to be able to talk about it. So a couple of things you want to keep in mind. Number one, Belize is a, is a tender port. So that means you have to take little tender ships to the, to, uh, the port and back. That adds a bit of time there. And when you're talking about tenders, there, that means there's extra time and that means it's going to take you longer than if the ship is docked somewhere. So obviously if you're doing an independent tour, keep that in mind. Make sure you pad enough time at the beginning and the end of the tour to get back on without any anxiety. That's probably the number one thing I would consider, Margaret. Beyond that, I don't have any, I don't, I wouldn't have any concerns. Uh, doing it, when you talk about the Caribbean, even in Belize, Independent tours are great. Just make sure you, and this is true of every tour you ever do, you know, research your tour guide, make sure they are, they are well established, have good reviews, have been there, done that, you know, it's, that, that they're gonna take good care of you. And certainly, if you have enough folks that can weigh in and say, yes, we had a good time on this and they got us back to the ship in time and all that good stuff, that's all you need to know. But make sure you're, you're doing your research on the tour operator and this isn't some dude with a car who's just, you know, trying to get into shore excursions, right? And offer you a tour there. 
make sure you do your due diligence there. But otherwise, really, I think the name of the game is just understanding how it works because uh, usually the way tenders work is they prioritize the tenders in the beginning for, like, when they first begin tendering to Belize uh, for, for sweet guests and for those who have excursions. Now, I remember many years ago, we went on Navigator in the Seas and we went to Belize, and my wife and I lined up in the stairway, which I tell you not to do, but I did it anyway, and we, we lined up, like, 45 to 60 minutes beforehand, and we were on the first tender regardless. So, um, But that was a while ago, and I haven't tried the strategy out yet. Uh-huh. I, it almost bears mentioning, Margaret, you might consider booking a suite. I don't know what you're paying or probably too late now. You're on liberty. You're going in a couple weeks. But um, so the strategy in the general future for consideration is be, being in a suite, they give you an escort off the ship uh, with the tenders, and you get a priority, which is kind of nice. The other advantage, again, booking through Royal Caribbean is you get priority, so you don't have to worry about fighting, waiting in line for a tender. You basically go to the pre-designated area on board the ship to wait. They call you, and then there's a tender waiting for you, which is really nice, I have to admit. Uh, getting back on board was fine. Uh, that wasn't an issue at all. Um, we, you know, unless you're waiting for that last tender, which I would not recommend doing, you're, you'll be fine. Um, it's more of an issue just getting off the ship. So obviously, you know, if like your tendering begins at 9 a.m. and you gotta meet your tour guide at 9.30, yeah, that could be a bit of an issue in terms of, but if your tour guide is, you know, you've got an hour or so to, to kill before you have to meet your tour guide, that's a little bit uh, better scenario, Margaret. So. Hopefully that makes some sense there. Again, research, research, research. Always a good strategy for what to do in advance of that. Let's go to the next email. It is from uh, Mary, who writes, uh, We're thinking of taking a last-minute cruise. I see, I see so many websites out there advertising low prices. Would this be a better option than going through a travel agent? Ooh, good question, Mary. So there's – actually, I thought you were going to go in a different direction with that. Number one, a website that advertises last-minute cruise or cruises in general is a travel agent, believe it or not. If you don't book a cruise to Royal Caribbean directly, by definition, everybody else is a travel agent, whether it's American Express Travel, whether it's a website like vacationstogo.com or cruises.com or expedia.com or priceline.com. They're all travel agents. They just, they're just different size and operate in a different way. So is your, let me answer your questions as directly as I can. And, um, number one, last minute deals are not as, I don't recommend doing going about that way for a couple of reasons. Number one, when you want to go on a cruise, there may not be a last minute deal available for you. Number two, one person's deal is another person's. Wow, that's expensive, right? It it's a relative term. Number three, cruise ships sail these days very full. It's very unlikely that there's going to be that many last minute deals. Also, there may be a last minute deal, but perhaps it's on a stateroom type that you're not willing to go to. Or more likely. There is a room available. Great. It's a balcony. Love balconies. Except it's all the way forward. Maybe you don't like being all the way forward. Maybe you're motion sensitive or you have concerns about being that far from an elevator bank and that means you have to do a lot more walking back and forth. I don't know. There's a thousand reasons why you might not like that room. But last minute means you have not that much selection. My honest advice to you, Mary, no matter who you book through, is A, use a travel agent. Yes, I do uh, recommend using a good travel agent specializes in Royal Caribbean that does not charge you change fees for that. And number two, book as far in advance as you can. The reason why I say that, Mary, is because long-term, over the big picture, that's probably going to net you the best possible price. Because if you book your cruise months, years in advance, I know you're in the United States, Mary, uh, so what that means is you can can't you can always rebook and take advantage of price drops all the way up to final payment date. And you know what? That's going to give you a hu- the biggest amount of selection, the largest of variety of staterooms to consider, 
and it's still going to lock you into a really great price. It's not to say you're going to overpay if you book a cruise in advance. Far from it. In fact, a lot of those last-minute deals are relative to what they were before that. Like, you know, let's say uh, hypothetically, you know, the, if you booked a, a sailing uh, a year or two in advance, it would cost $1,000. And then, you know, a couple months before the cruise, it went up, it jumped up to like $1,500. But then that last-minute deal brought it down to $1,200. Well, yeah, it is a deal compared to what it was at fifteen hundred, but it's still more expensive than if you'd booked it way out in advance. Never mind the fact that you had way more selection back when you booked it out in advance. So, my recommendation, Mary, is still book it as early as you can, and and work with the work with a good travel agent to get the best possible price. I think that's the best strategy. Next email is from Kurt Pressure. I hope I'm saying that and I'm right. Kurt writes, Matt, what do you think of the new main dining room layouts with the separate rooms? I'm scheduled on alert of the season. I haven't seen them yet, but I always like the presence of the big open dining rooms with the big chandeliers and other ships. They always felt so grand. I hope these rooms feel as special as they used to. Kurt, great question. So Kurt's talking about the primarily the Oasis of the Seas, Harmony of the Seas, and Allure of the Seas, which had their rooms, their main dining rooms. They used to have this unified theme to them, but they changed them for dynamic dining. And if you're wondering what dynamic dining is, don't don't worry about it. It was a program they did a couple of years ago. They got rid of it. But basically, they tried to transform the main dining rooms into smaller dining rooms, like they were on, like they are still on the Quantum class. But the difference is, of course, you have uh, a different structure there. I'm not going to go into that. I'm going to talk about Allure of the Seas, Kurt's question here. Uh, I, I'm with you, Kurt. I'm a traditionalist. I, li- I would prefer the, all the dining rooms to go back to being that beautiful, grand-looking uh, dining room experience. I don't think it really takes away that much of it, Kurt, because on the deck you happen to be dining on, it's a unified... You really don't see the other decks unless you happen to be looking for them. I prefer the that, that grand thing just like you. They still have the big chandeliers. They just change the motif, you know, the, the decorations within the, the deck you're on. Um, but I agree with you that I would prefer them to go back to... I hope that... With Oasis and Allure going to Dry Dock over the next two years, because Oasis will be going to Dry Dock in 2019 and Allure will go in 2020. I hope that they go back to that and reunify the theme, because it's a really, it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's silly. Let's be honest. I mean, this is something that only like a cruise nerd really cares about. Uh, but I, I like that. I agree with Kurt on this one, but it doesn't take anything away from it, Kurt. You still enjoy the main dining room. It's a great experience and the decor, you get used to it really quickly. So it's not the biggest deal in the world. It's just like, this is more of a, you know, perfect world scenario. I like to say. Next, we've got an email from Sarah. By the way, the uh, the subject of the email says, I'm so torn. Good. Well, hopefully we're going to answer this for Sarah here. Hello, Matt. Love your podcast and your blog so much. I'm a cruising newbie, and they have been such an excellent resource. That said, I do have one question that I've been wrestling for for weeks. I'm planning my first cruise on Serenade of the Seas and Anthem of the Seas, September 2018 and March 2019, respectively. I've always planned all my vacations, and I love, love planning things in general. I feel that it's one of the best things to do about a vacation. I booked direct... I Booked directly with Royal Caribbean for Serenade and chose my stateroom, low deck center ship, inside cabin for motion sickness. I plan all of our specialty restaurants based on the day at sea versus import. I plan the times around the show times that I tended to see in an example cruise compass. I always use TripAdvisor to plan my activities or excursions because I'm, also, I'm always so pleased with everything I pick based on that. I pre-calculated if we needed the drink packages or dining packages. I bought the boom package that was right for us, etc. All that said, I have yet to book my anthem sailing, and I have heard you and other industry leaders or insiders laud the merits of travel agents. I am open to this option in terms of getting an agent that may know things that I obviously don't and possibly saving money. That said, I know that I would want to be really involved in the planning of restaurants and showtimes and all that. Also, I doubt I would use them for excursions unless they're willing to book the excursion I want via TripAdvisor. I feel like I'm being a high-maintenance traveler to my agent, and I'm also nervous that they may not 
be responsive enough. I'm so torn. I don't know what to do. Knowing all this, what are your thoughts? Should I give travel agents to go? Thank you so much for your blog and everything you do. Sarah, I got great news for you, Sarah, because this is way easier than you think. Because when you use a travel agent, the only aspect of your booking that they quote-unquote manage, that you are, for lack of a better word, dependent on, is for the actual cruise fare itself, like booking the cruise, the stateroom, right? So when you're going to book Anthem of the Seas, you want to book a balcony room on the deck six midship, right? Just hypothetically. There, that's who's going to take care of that booking for you. But the dining, the shore excursions, the specialty restaurants, the drink packages, all, everything else, you manage. They don't have any control over that. The only aspect that I, w- I would add to that, of course, is the is your dining preference. You take care of that during the booking, right? You'll tell them, I want to book that stateroom and I want to be in main dining. If you book if you book uh, my time dining, though, it's okay. You can still do it on your own. You still go via the cruise planner and take all that for you. But they take care of, you know, assigning, uh, putting whichever uh, assignment you want. But I'm going to tell you this, Sarah. This is how you want to look at it. Number one, your fears are not... Uh, you're not the first person to have these kind of concerns. But I do think, I really truly believe, Sarah, that someone like yourself can still benefit from it. I'm one of those people. But I'll tell you one thing, Sarah. I hate dealing with Royal Caribbean because it's not that I can't do it. It's not that I, I wouldn't enjoy doing it on some level. It's that I don't, I don't, I'm too lazy. I don't want to do it. I got better things to do, right? And that's what a travel agent's value, a good travel agent's value, is saving you time. Certainly saving you money can also be part of that, right? But it's saving you time because, you know, maybe they will know some things that you don't. Maybe they've been on a ship that you haven't been on and they can offer some advice or talk about some strategies. Oftentimes, I get the best advice from travel agents uh, when, that when I use them for my kids, right? It's, it's about like, oh, you should really book it this way because this will save you some money. Or if you book it this way, you know, this room configuration, this will be better for you long term. Or you know, there's a variety of factors they can run through. On their in their systems that make it so much easier to figure out. Especially like my favorite thing to do, make a travel agent do, Sarah, is to make them figure out find the connecting rooms that work for the kind of stateroom that I have. Because the only way to do this on the Royal Caribbean website to figure out connecting rooms, like ones that have a common door between them, is you have to literally have one window open with the with the booking window, one room open with the deck plan, and you have to skim through. Okay, there's two. All right, now type in the numbers. Ah, oh, they're not available. Right next to. It's, it's the most annoying process in the world. Let the travel agent do that for you. But you can still manage like 90% of what you talked about in your email, Sarah, you can still do on your own. Your, your shore excursions, you can still do that all on your own. The, the, the shows, the drink packages, the Voom packages, especially restaurants, this is also done on your own. The only difference is they're doing the actual booking of the reservation for you and assigning your dining. After that, I mean, they're not, they don't have to do anything else that you don't want them to do. You can do all those other things on your own and book all those things via the cruise planner. So you still have all that leverage or that power, so to speak. And I think it would absolutely benefit you, Sarah, because you know what that means? That means less time that you have to sit on the hold or on the phone with Royal Caribbean to book the cruise and more time to plan on things that seem like of interest to you, which is calculating, you know, the best excursion for your family, the drink packages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'll tell you that when you find a good agent, that it makes it so much easier. So the key is, number one, Sarah, you want to find a good agent that works for you. Contact them ahead of time. Tell them your concerns. Tell them essentially your email you just sent me. You know, let them let them uh, assure you that they're going to offer you the kind of service you're looking for. Tell them what kind of service you're looking for. Are you looking for someone who you can text, email, call, all of them, one of them, two of them? Uh, you know, what kind of turnaround time are you expecting? When you say, I want, you know, if you're going to email them or call them or whatever, and you're going to say, I'd like to um, book a cruise or I want to book or change my cruise booking, right? 
what kind of turnaround time are you expecting? Because that's also part of that factor. Make sure you understand, and they understand, you, the expectations on both sides. And I'll tell you, Sarah, when you find a great travel agent, it is the best feeling in the whole wide world. Of course, I shamelessly plug, because they are a sponsor, uh, MEI Travel. I've been using them for many years. I used them even before they, I ever, they were ever a sponsor of RollerCreamBlog.com. And I've been very happy with their service. And I think they can, they and, 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 and certainly any uh, good travel agent can help you and make you that process a whole lot easier for you. Um, so give it a try. I do think it's worth going for it because there's a reason why a lot of people who, you know, who've been there, done that, talk about it. Because a good travel agent just, it, it saves you time. It can certainly save you money and it just makes your life easier. I can't tell you how many times I have been so happy I've had a travel agent because, not because the booking of the reservation is difficult. Anybody can do that. It's really easy to make a booking. The problem, the, the, where the travel agents earn their money is when they're doing those repricing. Great example, right? New sales come out. They reprice the cruise for me and, and rebook it automatically without me doing anything. When there's a problem, when Royal Caribbean messes up my reservation because it's happened a couple times, believe it or not, they, the travel agent, are the one that sorts it out and gets it all fixed for me and I don't have to lift a finger for it. There's a lot of times in which they really make it work. And of course, they can save me money along the way. That's even better. Uh, you know, that, that, that that's wonderful. Um, but it's really that service that really boils down to. So Sarah, I think you're not making a mistake by going about it that way. Next, we have an email from Christine who writes, uh, like I said in my last message, um, I want to talk about a burial at sea. There wasn't much to get to the ceremony arranged. I started by reaching out to Royal Caribbean's Crown and Anchor Society email. They responded with an email. As you can see, there are very specific requirements for the burial. About two months after I submitted my request via email, I received a confirmation back. Um, once we were on the ship, we went to get customer relations with the uh, remains certificate or cremains certificate and death certificate. We provided them with the copies that they could keep, but they still returned them as anyway when they presented us with the certificate of burial. Um, the day of the burial, we went to the back, we went back to the customer service desk where two officers escorted us to a private area on deck five aft. Since we had not, re- since we had not requested they speak for us, they left us alone. They did, however, set, stand sentinel one either side of us about 10 to 15 feet away and blocked all of their passengers from entering the area so we had total privacy. They told us to take as long as we wished, then we walked, then they walked us back to the desk and we parted. I will tell you this, everyone we encountered was so respectful and professional. The officers, seeing how emotional my father-in-law was, engaged him in conversation. They allowed him to speak to about his wife, how long they were married, her love of cruising, etc. Since I was the one who arranged it, they made sure I was happy with how it was handled. There were two small glitches. Number one, we wanted to do it on February 7th since that was the year anniversary of her passing. But since we were in port that day, we could not. The ship had to be so many nautical miles from shore to be able to do a burial at sea. And by the time we would be that far out, it would have been too dark to do it. Number two, they originally gave us one certificate when we asked for two. One was for us and one was for my father-in-law. I contacted guest services and they immediately apologized and made sure we had a second certificate well before we left the ship. And this may be something as small, but I was very impressed that the captain and the officers actually signed them, not just stamping their signatures. They truly handled everything with dignity and respect for my mother-in-law deserved. Please feel free to reach out with any questions. Thanks. Chris, thank you so much for the email. Uh, I asked Christine to send this in because she had a burial at sea. A lot of people asked me about this. The email address you want to send, if you want to do this, there's an email address, emergency team at rccl.com. One word, emergency team at rccl.com. And they can, you can do exactly what, uh, what Christine here did. And certainly she reached out to Crown and Anchor side and they can direct you anyway. But, um, Christine, thank you for sharing your experience there because 
while you know this is a very tough experience, obviously to to have. Uh, I probably should mention at the top is there was obviously a burial. Let's see, there were remains. Uh, the, her her mother in law's remains were, were cremated, and they wanted to spread her ashes at sea. And this is what happened when she when she did this to Royal Caribbean. It is possible to do it. You should go through Royal Caribbean. Don't do this on your own. Just, you, know, you don't have to do it that way. As you can see, it was very easy, very special. And they can accommodate you for this. So if this is something you're looking to do, uh, it is possible to do. And you just need to reach out to Royal Caribbean a couple months before your cruise. And they can definitely set you up there. So there you go. Well, guys, I think we're going to wrap up this episode of the podcast. Thank you for joining us here. As always, I have such fun answering your emails. And, of course, you can send me your emails by sending them to Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hoshberg, and we'll talk again soon.